We're in our series today, Back to the Basics, getting back to the basics after coronavirus and being out of, many have been out of church for many months, just trying to wait to see for things to calm down. And we're just kind of getting back to normal now, kind of getting back to things as best as we can. And for many of us, it's just time to get back to the basics, back to what we know is right, back to doing the things that we used to do. And so that's what the sermon is all about. Uh, Last uh, week, we talked about getting back to the joy of our salvation. So everyone take a deep breath. Ah, Smile. You know Jesus. Amen. Amen. There's joy there. Several weeks ago, we talked about Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2. They had lost their first love. And God told them, you need to get back to those things that you used to do, the first works. And so he encourages them to go back, to repent, and to go back. Otherwise, he'd remove their candlestick. And so today, as Christians, may we look at our lives and determine we're going to go back to the basics. So Luke chapter number 9, today we're going to go a little bit further into the first works. Look at Luke chapter number 9. Jesus, of course, is talking to his disciples. Skip down to verse 20 of Luke chapter 9 with me. And he, talking about Jesus, said unto them, By whom say ye that I am? Jesus asked his disciples, Who do you think I am? Peter answers and says, The Christ of God. It's a very important statement. Verse 21, And straightly charged them, he straightly charged them, and commanded them to tell no man, of that thing, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and priests, and to be slain and be raised the third day. And he said unto them all, If any man, that's very important, if how many men? Any. If any man, that means anybody, if any man will come after me, let him what? Deny himself. What's next? Take up his cross, and then next, and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever shall lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. For what is a man advantaged if he gain the whole world and lose himself and be cast away? Jesus here is giving us a glimpse into what it means to be a real, true disciple of Christ. These instructions that he gives, he gives to any man. These instructions are not just for pastors, for evangelists, this is not just for missionaries, but for any man who will come after him, who will follow him. So today, in our message, we're going to try to go back to the first works or go back to the basics of discipleship. Let's pray today. Father, thank you for this time that we get to be together. I pray that you would be in the message. Open our hearts. Help us to understand. Remove me, please, as much as possible out of the way. Holy Spirit, use your word in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. What is discipleship? If you look up discipleship in the dictionary, it will tell you it is the state of a disciple or follower of a doctrine or a precept, someone who follows doctrines or precept actively follows. And may I say today that Christians ought to be disciples of Jesus Christ. We ought to be actively following what we believe that Christ said. When we think about getting to the basics of our Christian walk, we cannot lose or 
overlook the importance of our discipleship in our life. In our church, we have what's called a discipleship program. Has anybody here ever been through a discipleship program? Anybody? All right, several of you. Here we have one, and it's very important, I think, if you've been saved and you know Christ as your Savior and you want to know more about the faith, discipleship is a great way to learn about baptism, salvation. We're doing that in Sunday school right now. Why do we get baptized and, and, and all these different things? But that is not what I'm talking about right now. What I'm talking about right now is much deeper, much more important, much more committed than just a program. It's a lifelong discipleship of Jesus Christ. If you're sitting in the room today and you say to me, Pastor, I am a Christian. I know Jesus Christ. I am following him. Then I say back to you, then you must be his disciple. You must follow him. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. And this is a great commitment. This is a, this is a, uh, a, a great, uh, a deep commitment that we have. The Great Commission, Matthew chapter number 28, tells us to go to all the world, to teach, to observe whatsoever I've commanded you. Essentially, the, the Great Commission is disciples taking the gospel to the world and teaching them to become a disciple. And so today, my job as a pastor is to help this church be a disciple of Christ. And many of you have been saved and Christians for many, many years, and you've been a disciple of Christ for many, many years. And so today, my, my goal is to help encourage some of us, perhaps, you're here today and you say, I am a Christian, I know Christ, and He is my Savior, but how do I become more of a disciple? Or maybe you're here today and you say, I know Christ I know how to be a disciple, but I'm not doing what I should do today. Maybe that's you. Maybe you're here today and you're thinking, I am not a Christian and I want to be a Christian. Then if, if you're one of those three things, then this is the message for you today. We're in Luke chapter number nine, and Jesus clearly defines, powerfully defines what it means to be a true disciple of Christ. I'm going to say, make a statement. It's going to sound like a strong statement. But just think about it when I say it. Going to church doesn't make you a disciple of Christ. It's important. You're here, amen? Going to church is important, but uh, uh, being in a garage doesn't make you a car. Okay? Going into an ice cream shop, well, I, that's, I go in ice cream shops all the time. But anyway, be, just going to church or maybe just putting a few dollars in the offering plate or wearing a tie or carrying a Bible, none of those things makes you a disciple of Christ. What does make us a disciple of Christ is what Jesus tells us right here in Luke chapter number nine. And these are the things that we're going to talk about today. So number one, what is the first thing that Jesus says? Jesus says, if any man will come after me and me by, be my disciple, number one is he must or we must deny ourselves. Look at verse, uh, look at verse uh, let's go up here to verse 21. And he straightly charged them and commanded them that they tell no man the thing. What thing that those men, or at least Peter, recognized that Christ was the Christ. He was Jesus Christ or the one sent from God. And so Peter understood that at least to a certain degree. And Christ said, do not tell anybody that. And here's, this is something interesting I find. Look at verse 22. And he says, he says to these men, he says, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and chief priests and scribes. And notice this, and be what? Jesus told his disciples that he was going to be killed. And notice what he says next, and be raised the third day. And he says to them after that, if any man will come after me, 
Let him deny himself. Why did Jesus say that? Letter A here, there is no earthly position in discipleship. What Jesus was saying to these men is, if you're going to be a disciple, don't expect a position. Don't expect uh, some kind of glory, some kind of fame. Don't expect uh, people to like you. Don't expect to be popular. Don't expect to, be, to sit on the board of elders. Don't, just, don't expect to be a part of the, you know, the, the, the bishopric or whatever it is. What he's saying to them is with true discipleship, there is no position. What was the problem with these disciples? The problem was is they didn't quite understand what was going on. Look later on in the chapter. Look at Luke chapter number 9. Look at verse 44. Notice what Jesus says. He says, let these sayings sink down into your ears. You ever said that to your kids? Let that sink in. (laughs) Sink down into your ears. For the Son of Man shall be delivered into the hands of men, talking about himself, Jesus. But they understood not this saying. It was hid from them that they perceived it not. They feared to ask him of the saying. They didn't know what was going on. What did they think was happening? Look at verse 46. When there arose a reasoning among them, on which of them should be the greatest? Jesus is telling these men, guys, I am going to be slain. I am going to be rejected. I'm not going to set up the kingdom. I am not going to uh, rule and take over for Caesar and get rid of Roman oppression. Guys, I am going to be slain. And how do they respond? Well, which of us is going to be the greatest? You see, a lot of people... When they come to Christ, they only come to Christ if there is something that benefits them. Something, some kind of a position, some kind of benefit, some kind of blessing. There are many pastors today who preach a, a, a prosperity gospel. If you, if you, if Jesus wants to be you, wants you to be your best now and he wants you to have all these things. And yes, Christ wants us to have our best and he does bless us with many things, but that is not what discipleship is about. Discipleship is denying ourselves. I've known Christians over the years who stopped going to church because they can't find a parking spot. I don't think that that's what Jesus meant by denying yourself. Well, I'll park all the way back here, Lord. Here you go. I'm going to deny myself. That's not what he's talking about. <laughs> no, he, denial is looking at ourselves and saying, I don't, it's not about me. It's not if if I don't have any blessing, if I don't get any reward, if I don't have any position, I wonder how many pastors today would still show up and serve their church if they had no paycheck. Or how many Christians would still come to church if they've been offended or if they don't get their way or someone didn't ask them or didn't pick them. Discipleship is not about preeminence. It's not about prominence. It's not about popularity. It's about denial. And that's what, isn't that what Jesus said? If any man will come after me, let him what? Deny himself. Discipleship is not gaining access to a special club with benefits. Discipleship is denying oneself. Take your Bibles and go to Romans chapter 12. I think Paul illustrates this with a very pow- powerful passage of Romans chapter number 12, verse 1 and 2. He says this, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye what? Present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Why is our us sacrificing our life for the Lord reasonable? Because he did that for me. Nobody's ever died for me. 
other than Jesus Christ. No humans ever died for me. But when I was a kid, mom, you probably remember this. If you're new, my mother's sitting right over here. So you know, I'm telling the truth. But I remember I was at swimming lessons and I was probably four or five. I don't remember how old I was. Thank you. All right. Fact checker. I was six. I'm at swimming lessons and I dove in the deep end because I thought I could swim, but I couldn't swim. And, I'll, 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 I, and this is, I was six. I remember this like it was yesterday. I remember going under the water. I remember the sensation of, I can't breathe. I'm in big trouble. I remember this. And then I felt this strong arm wrap around my waist. And this guy, he was a lifeguard, pulled me out of the water. And I'll never forget that sensation as a six-year-old of being saved from, it was in a pool, you know. So, But I thought, man, that guy saved my life. Jesus, did he not save your life? Is it not reasonable that we deny ourselves? Well, I don't want to deny myself. I want, I want to make sure that I have everything that I want. And I want to make sure I live. This is my life. This is my life. I'm going to do things my way. And this is how we get. But isn't it true that Christ sacrificed his life for us? Sacrificed his all for me and for you? Paul goes on, verse 2, be not conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. It is God's will for us to deny ourselves. I uh, follow this leadership thing for pastors. It's a blog where pastors chime in and talk all the time. And there's this one, this one guy said, he said, please, you know, share with me one story. Uh, share with me one story about a, a weird reason why somebody left your church. And so there was 25 of them, and there was a lot of funny, funny ones on there. But I just picked a couple of my favorites. These are things that people left going to church over. Here's, here's one. A family left the church because the song leader's beard was too long. Number two, a family left the church. Actually, several families left this guy's church. They had a dispute over what type of filing cabinet to buy. Another guy said they had a church split. They had a piece of land that they were going to do something with. Half of the church wanted to build a playground, and half the church wanted to build a cemetery. I'm dying to find out which one won. <laughs> I told Max that joke. He said, Dad, please don't say that. That's my, one of my sons. Number four, uh, uh, this is my favorite. There was actually a church fight over whether or not to offer gluten-free communion wafers. People stopped following Christ for the weirdest reasons, the most ridiculous reasons. And Christ says, deny yourself. Deny yourself. I'll never forget, it was a big day here. I think it was family roundup. I think we had over 1,000 that Sunday. There was cars everywhere. Down the street, cars everywhere. And I'll never forget, there was one of, our, one of our ladies in our church. She's a widow. And she parked way off in the dirt. Now, that bothers me as a pastor. I never want to see a widow parking in the dirt. And so I saw that, and I walked right up to her. I said, ma'am, I, I won't say her name. I said, Mrs. So-and-so, I am so sorry that you had to park. She goes, why? I said, you shouldn't have. She goes, why not? I don't, I don't mind at all. Not a problem for me. And she just walked right past me. You know, that's how we ought to be. I had a fellow get mad one time because someone, well, I shouldn't say that. I'm just saying people get mad for the weirdest reasons. Christ says, deny yourself. Deny yourself. Thank the Holy Spirit for, for stopping me there, all right? Let her be here. We see that there is, though, there is no positional promise here, but we see, let her be, that there is an eternal promise in discipleship. You see, when we deny ourselves and we follow Christ, what we get in return for that far outweighs what we deny ourselves. 
I think about this wonderful verse, verse 22. Jesus is explaining to his disciples, the son of man must be, uh, he's going to be rejected. He's going to suffer. But he says, but on day three, yippee, I'm rising again. And because Christ rose again the third day, guess what? Guess who else gets to rise again? Amen. The benefits for denying yourself to follow Christ far outweigh the things that you lose in denying yourself. Is it not that what Jesus said? What shall a man gain if he gains the whole world but lose his own soul? And we understand this morning that if we deny ourselves, we, we will over and over again reap the blessings. Let me give you number two. So to be a true disciple, it starts with denying ourselves. It's not about us. It's not about position. But number two, Jesus makes this statement. And picture in your mind, the mind of the disciple here, this would not have made sense to them. But he said, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily. May I just remind you that when Jesus said this, he had not died on the cross yet. And so as he's telling this to his disciples, that would not make sense. Why is he saying that? What does it mean to take up our cross daily? I just have a few thoughts here. Letter A, discipleship is a daily sacrifice. We die to ourself daily. Isn't that what Paul said? I die daily. What am I dying to? How am I dying daily? I find it interesting that Jesus doesn't just say, take up your cross, but he says, take up your cross daily. Because in our life, we have to decide every single day that I'm going to die to me. I'm going to die to Perry Delzell. I'm going to die to Perry Delzell's wants and desires and the things that I want to do. I'm going to die to those things and I'm going to live to Christ. It's a daily sacrifice. Taking up my cross is more than just a one-time decision. It's a daily decision. If I want to be a disciple, it's an everyday thing. My wife and I, my wife was at the first service and then she taught Sunday school and then her husband forgot to turn the crock pot on. So she had to go home and make dinner. But anyway, uh, so it's my fault. I'll be honest. But my wife and I, we got married on February the 4th, 2005. We stood there at the altar. We, were, we got married on Jackson Farm out back in that in series, beautiful walnut trees there. And I'll never forget, she came down that aisle, man. Woo, telling you what, man, I'm a lucky guy. She came down. We exchanged vows. We exchanged rings. We made a decision that day to get married. And before our friends and our relatives and before God, we made vows to each other that we are going to marry each other. It was a one-time decision. It was a one-time uh, 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 covenant that we made. We don't decide to get married every day. We don't get, decide to get married once a year. We got married one time, her and I, and uh, we got married. And so that, that was a one-time decision that we made. But can I just tell you something? Being married is an everyday decision. How many married folks know what I'm talking about? I don't wake up in the morning and look at my wife and say, honey, I think today, why don't we just take a break from being married today? You'd have a toothless pastor. <laughs> I'd be preaching like this. No, it's every day. And our marriage just isn't on paper. It doesn't just say that we're married. We made a contract. No, we live marriage every day. Isn't that what true discipleship should be? It isn't just that, yeah, Christ, I, I follow you, I believe in you, but I'm going to do whatever I want. No, we live discipleship every day. Amen. It's a daily decision. We see also it's not just a daily decision, but let her be here. Discipleship is death to self. And we've said this already in another way here, but I want you to think about it in this light. 
in Jesus' time, none of his followers, none of his disciples, none of the people of that day, you would not find a cross around their neck. They would not wear a cross. You would not see somebody with a cross tattoo or a cross on their wall. You say, why not? Because the cross was a cruel symbol of death. The cross was not a beautiful thing to us. When I see that, doesn't that make your heart kind of pound a little bit when you see the cross and you realize what Christ did for you? But to these people, that, that was a symbol of death. It'd be kind of like this. It'd be kind of like if you went to somebody's house, Dan Jr., and you know, you're a guest, you've never been there before, and you're sitting there and you're eating, you know, and you're making small conversation and you know, oh, this is a beautiful home. Thank you. And, and Dan Jr., you look up and you see a painting on the wall and there's this beautiful painting of an electric chair. <laughs> You'd be like, um, I'm never coming back here, you know, <laughs> because that would be to us to see an electric chair is it's, it's gruesome. It, it brings these emotions of, oh, I, I don't want to think about an electric chair. You wouldn't wear an electric chair around your neck. What Christ was saying to these men is, he's saying, listen, if you're going to be my disciple, you need to pick up your cross. You need to be ready and willing to die, to die to yourself. These men were worried about position. They were worried about who was the greatest. And Christ is saying, no, it's not about position. It's not about uh, possessions. It's not about prosperity. It's about dying to yourself. Look at verse 24 of Luke chapter number nine. Notice what Jesus says, for whosoever shall what? Save his life. Shall what? Lose it. And whosoever will what? Lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. I'm speaking, of course, to a room full of people this morning who probably would say, I am a Christian. You probably would say that you know Christ and you follow Christ but the truth is, is that a real disciple every day picks up his cross, dies to self. You say, what do you mean by that? What I mean by that is a disciple prefers or gives Christ preference in their life. Christ comes before me. Christ comes before anything. You fill in the blank in your own life. It might be a relationship you know is not pleasing to Christ. And so dying to yourself says, okay, I have this relationship, and yes, it means something to me, but I am going to push that relationship out because I'm going to die to myself and I'm going to live to Christ. It might be drugs or alcohol. You fill in the blank. Whatever those things are in your life, we need to die to Christ. If I'm going to be a disciple, don't say, don't say that you're a disciple if you don't pick up your cross. What does Jesus say? He says, deny himself. Take up his cross daily. And then lastly, this morning, Jesus says, follow me, follow me. If we're going to be true disciples, then we must follow him. Here's a question you can ask yourself today. Am I following Christ? How many of you have ever taken kids to the grocery store? All right. What are some of the aisles that you stay away from in the grocery store? Ice cream, cereal, Candy, pretty much all of them, amen? <laughs> you ever take your kids to the grocery store? And the other day I was with my family. It was a while ago, actually. And I have four boys. One of them is, at the time, I think he was about three or four. And then my third son down, Gavin, has special needs. We keep a close eye on him because if he walks away, who knows where he's going. And so my, my wife and I are in there. We have all four boys. This is pre-COVID when, you know, families were allowed in grocery stores. And so we're standing there 
And um, I, I, we, my wife and I were talking about something, and I look up, and Callum and Gavin are gone. Gone. And my wife says, where are Callum and Gavin? And how does the husband respond? I don't know. <laughs> and she's, she's having a hard time. She's, you know, she's ready to call the police. And I'm like, they're here somewhere. And so I'll go get them. So I walk, I walk down the aisle way. I go around the corner. I go down the aisle. No Gavin, no Callum. I'm like, well, they're down the other one. So I walk down the aisle. Look down, there's my wife. They're not there. I walk down the other aisle. They're not there either. So I go down the next aisle. They're not there either. So I walk down to the other side. I skip that aisle, skip that aisle, skip that aisle. I look down that. They're not there either. They were hiding from me on the end cap. A couple of turkeys. When you take your kids somewhere, you want them to stay next to you. How many of you mothers ever gone to Macy's or Ross and your kids do that thing where they go into the clothes? And you look up and it's like, poof, like magic. They're gone. How many of you have ever been to Disneyland and lost your kid? Talk about panic. When you are with your kids in a place, in an environment like that, what do you say to your kids? Stay right next to me or I'm putting you on a leash. (laughs) You want your kids to stay, to follow you, to be next to you. And what Jesus is saying, if you're going to be my disciples, you need to stay close to me. You need to stay right here, right here. How many of you have ever go around the corner sometimes? Isn't that what Adam did? When Adam sinned, did he not try to hide himself from the Lord? I want to show you something interesting. I'm going to use the the life of Peter very quickly here to illustrate something. I hope it's an encouragement to you today. Because you're probably like me because I have flesh just like you. Sometimes I get away from the Lord and I shouldn't. Let me encourage you today with something. Take your Bibles and go to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. Real quick. So maybe you're here today and you're not... You're not following Christ, or maybe in the future you'll find yourself, hopefully not, but you'll find yourself not where you should be. I want you to think back to this message, and I hope it'll help you. There's good news today that when we get away from the Lord, He doesn't take away the invitation to follow Him. Look at Matthew chapter number 4, look at verse 18. Jesus walking by the Sea of Galilee, He's just starting His ministry. He sees two people, two brethren, Simon Peter and Andrew, his brother, casting net, casting a net in the sea for their fishers. And he says unto them, Jesus says to these men, what? Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And straightway, that means right away, without any hesitation, they left their nets and they followed him. Peter was a fisherman. He was a regular guy. There was nothing special. He wasn't royalty. He was not particularly smart. There was nothing really special about Peter. He was just a person. He wasn't wealthy, just a middle-class working man. Jesus comes to him and offers him a simple invitation. Follow me. Follow me. And And Peter does. He lays down his nets and he follows Christ. How many of you in the room would say that was the best decision Peter ever made? That was the best decision Peter ever made, was to leave his nets and to follow Christ. May I say to you today, if you don't know Christ as your Savior, he is offering an invitation to you. Follow me. It's the best decision you'll ever make. You won't regret it. Peter follows Christ. 
And he follows him for three and a half years. It's the journey of a lifetime. Think about the things that Peter saw. Peter saw men who were blind receive their sight. Peter saw the lame who could not walk get up and walk. Peter saw dead people. I said dead people who were not breathing, who did not have a heartbeat. Christ raised them from the dead. Peter saw Jesus Christ stand up in a boat and rebuke the wind and the waves and they stopped. Peter got himself. Peter was able to walk on water. How many think it was the best decision he ever made to follow Christ? Boy, what a journey. He goes through this three and a half years. He sees thousands of people fed out of nothing. He sees all of these things. And then come to the end of, the, end of Jesus' journey, end of Jesus' life, something happens. The Garden of Gethsemane happens. Christ is there with his disciples. He asks them to pray. All of a sudden, it's dark now, and Jesus recognizes in his omnipotence that it's time for him to be taken. Remember, he told his disciples about this. We just read it. They knew this was going to happen. All of a sudden, Judas comes up, that traitor, and betrays him with a kiss. And men come with swords and staves and pitchforks and, and flame. And they come and they come to grab Christ and to take him away. What does Peter do? He grabs his sword and he cuts this guy's ear off, Malchus. Jesus looks at Peter and he rebukes Peter. Because even though Peter's been following this whole time, he didn't quite get it. Jesus picks up the ear heals Malchus, and rebukes Peter. Now, I want to show you something interesting. Are you in John chapter 18? Did I tell you about John 18? Let's go there. I want to show you something very interesting. Jesus invites Peter to follow him. He does, three and a half years. And then we get to John 18. Jesus Christ now has been taken. And I want you to notice, look at verse 15 of John 18. Jesus has been taken into the palace. He's being taken into the palace to be judged. And notice verse 15. And Simon Peter, what? Follow Jesus. As Jesus is being taken away, presumably we know now, we know he was going to be crucified. These disciples didn't know exactly what was going to happen. But he was being taken away. Notice this. And Peter followed Jesus. And so did another disciple. That means John. John is the author of the book of John. And so it's talking about Peter and John. And the disciple was known unto the high priest and went in with Jesus into the palace. But Peter stood at the door without and went out that other disciple, which was known unto the high priest, and spake unto her that kept the door and brought in Peter. Verse, verse 17. Then saith the damsel that keepeth the door unto Peter, Art not thou also one of this man's disciples? And he saith, I am not. So get this scene. Peter's following Christ but at a distance. He still has a relationship with Christ. By the way, if you're here today and you've trusted Christ as your Savior, it doesn't matter how much distance you get between you and Him, you're still His child. And Peter's following at a distance. They come to the palace. Apparently, John knew the high priest, and so John and him had a, some kind of a, a working relationship there. And so I can just see John say to Peter, I'm going to go inside and check things out, and I'm going to come back out and get you if, everything, if everything's all clear. So John goes inside. The high priest knows him. Jesus is there. And so John comes back out to get Peter, and here's the damsel. She's opening and closing the door, and she opens the door, and he says to Peter, hey, Peter, you can come inside. It's safe. And the girl says to Peter, who's holding the door, wait a minute, aren't you one of his disciples? And Peter says, no, no, I'm not. As a matter of fact, Peter goes on to deny Christ two more times. Verse 25 through 27, he's standing by the fire. Notice what he says. Simon Peter warmed himself and said, therefore, unto him, art 
not thou also one of his disciples? And he denied it and said, I am not. And one of the servants of the high priest, being a kinsman of the, of the man who Peter cut off his ear, Malchus, he says to him, he says, did not I see you in the garden with him? And Peter denied again three times. And immediately the cock crew. In other parts of Scripture, you say that Peter went out and wept bitterly. He recognized because Christ told him this was going to happen. In our journey as disciples, there are times where we find ourselves at a distance. It might be because we've been hurt. It could be because of laziness. It could be because they didn't serve gluten-free wafers on communion. But there are times where we find ourselves at a distance. Can I just encourage you today? Number one, Christ still loves you. You're still his child. There's one more thing I want you to notice, and we'll close. Go to John 21. It doesn't end there for Peter. Look at John chapter number 21. Look at verse 15. So when they had dined, Jesus says to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? Peter denies Christ, weeps bitterly. Christ is taken. He's hung on the cross. He is crucified. They took Christ's body from down off the cross. They put him in a tomb. He laid there for, two, for three nights. He, for, for, excuse me, for three days. He got up the next day. He rose again the third day. And now Christ is showing himself to his disciples. Peter, I believe, discouraged uh, from what he had done. This is my opinion now. I believe he was discouraged. I believe that he uh, had uh, felt like he blew it. That's just my opinion. And he went back to fishing. That's what I think. I think he went back to fishing because that's what he knew. And he didn't know what else to do. So he goes back to fishing. So here comes Christ. He's showing himself to his disciples. Christ shows up on the shore here. Peter sees him. This whole thing happens. Peter comes to the shore. They sit down to have a a post-resurrection meal. And Jesus looks deep into the eyes of Peter and he says, lovest thou me? And of course, Peter responds, yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. See, Peter never lost his love for Christ and Christ never lost his love for him. They just had some distance between them. Look at verse 16. He says unto him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. And he said unto him, Feed my sheep. And he says unto him a third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? And Peter grieved because he had said unto him the third time, Lovest thou me? And he said, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. And Jesus said unto him, Feed my sheep. Verily I say unto thee. And then he gives him a prophecy of how Peter is going to die. But there's one more thing I want you to notice. Skip down to verse 19. Or the last two words, follow me. After all of this, after cutting off Malchus's ear because he didn't understand, and after uh, denying Christ and cursing and swearing and, and pretending like he didn't know who Christ was, after abandoning him to die, after doing all of these things, Jesus says, follow me. The same invitation that he gave him back at the beginning. May I say to you today, Just because you mess up doesn't mean that Christ is done with you. The invitation to follow him still stands. So as we get back to the basics in our lives, I don't know where you are in your discipleship process. Only you know that, by the way. Only you know that. I know when my kids are far from me. I don't know when you're far from the Lord, but the Lord does and so do you. And maybe you're not far from the Lord today. And don't get me wrong, not everybody is. But what do we do to get back to the first works Christ told us? Deny ourselves. It's not about us. Take up our cross daily. We die to ourselves every day and stay close to Christ. Follow him. Back when I was on staff, I was talking to the pastor then at that time. And and I don't remember if there's other people there. It was just me and him. I don't remember what we were talking about. 
but he was giving me or us people marriage advice. And he was just talking about how, you know, make sure, you know, keep your marriage strong. And Brother Asper, I don't know if you were there when he was talking to us about this, but he said something that I'll never forget. He said, guys, he said, or maybe just to me, he said, listen, if you want to have a good marriage, he said, you got to keep you and your wife like this. He said, if you see any light between you and her at all, close it, close it. And, you know, I didn't quite understand what he said at, at first, but over time, I've understood what he meant by that. If there's any distance between me and that lady, I, I need to close that. I can't, I can't allow distance between her and I. I need to close it. And that's my relationship with Christ. So today, is there any light between you and Christ? Any distance at all? I found this poem, and I'll read this, and then I'll pray. But it was just really spoke to my heart. The title of the poem is Take Up Your Cross. Take up your cross, the Savior said, if you would be, if you would my disciple be. Forsake the past and come this day and humbly follow after me. Take up your cross, let not its weight pervade your soul with vain alarm. His strength shall bear your spirit up, sustain your heart and nerve your arm. Take up your cross, nor heed the shame, nor let your foolish heart rebel. For you, the Lord, endured the cross to save your soul from death and hell. Take up your cross, then in Christ's strength, and every danger calmly brave, t'will guide you to a heavenly home and lead to a victory or the grave. Take up your cross and follow Christ, nor think till death to lay it down, for only those who bear the cross may hope to wear a golden crown.